You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. And uh, we're going to talk about several different things today. Uh, the first time we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this whole uh, diversity, inclusion stuff that's been going on. Uh, I, I found it interesting. I got an email from the law school I worked at at Atlantis John Marshall Law School about the, a committee on diversity and inclusion. Now, why we need a committee on diversity and inclusion is beyond me, since uh, John Marshall Law School has historically had a very heavy uh, minority population. Uh, about 40% of our students are minorities, mostly uh, black African American. And that's been historically true. We've had uh, we've had a pretty uh, large group of uh, lesbians, including uh, professors. We've had a number of uh, male homosexuals, gays, although they're, they're not as obvious in the population of students as the lesbians. But we've had homosexual professors, and, and you know we we have met the left definition of diversity in the sense that everybody looks different but thinks the same, which is their definition of diversity. Uh, and uh, However, John Marshall uh, Law School is interesting because not only do we have a, a student body that not, where everyone doesn't look the same, we have a faculty that is not only diverse on looks, blacks, uh, gays, lesbians, uh, and, and other ethnic groups. Uh, we have uh, one one of our uh, faculty members is uh, uh, Asian. I don't know. Uh, I forgot what country she's from. But we have a faculty that is unusual in that there's a diversity of opinion. Now, whether this diversity of opinion can survive the current woke atmosphere, I don't know. But we actually have uh, on the faculty... Uh, a believing Christian or two or three, which is unheard of in most law schools. Uh, we have, in fact, conservatives, and there are even at least two of us, perhaps three, who admit have <clears throat> admitted to voting for Trump for president, and that no greater crime in academia than voting for Trump. So we'll see how we we do in this uh, coming uh, semester starting in August, uh, but uh, I think we have enough uh, of a faculty group that is uh, either um, conservative, my guess is four of us are conservative, uh, three are obviously conservative, one is, I think, uh, keeps a low profile, so there are four of us uh, who are conservatives, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, whether there's a revolt against us because the current acting dean is is woke. Uh, very, I think he's a good man. I think he's a good administrator, but uh, he's born into this, I think, this woke stuff. Um, and if he, if, he, if he hears me, he might get real angry, but uh, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> just starting out the show with a little um, uh, in, tidbit from my law school, and those of you out there who are really interested in going to law school and not being propagandized the whole time might might take a look at the Landis John Marshall Law School, assuming you don't get into one of the top 14 schools in the country, which I urge you to, if you can get into there, that's where you ought to go, uh, obviously. You've got uh, Harvard and Yale, 
I mean, just going there gives you an entree. Uh, yeah, sure, they propagandize you, but just going there gives you an entree. Columbia, NYU, Virginia, Vanderbilt, these are all uh, places where you ought to go if you can, <clears throat> if you're going to be a lawyer. Well, let me go to the next little issue, which I think is uh, very interesting, and that is the stock market. What's going on with the stock market? Why is it recovering? I mean, the stock market at one point was down below 20,000. It's up to 25,000, just not as high as it was. But the stock market keeps climbing, even though the economy may or may not be coming back. And the latest uh, study, I don't know if it's accurate. We don't know because uh, economists are notorious for having studies that are not accurate. Uh, The study says 40%, and you can look this up on the Internet, by the way, 40% of black businesses will not survive. And they say will not survive the pandemic, which is not exactly true is 40% of the business will not survive the lockdowns. And exactly which party is big on not only continuing and extending lockdowns, continuing the lockdowns, it's the Democrat Party. So we have an entire party committed, at least publicly committed to to continuing lockdowns and, 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 and resisted calls to end lockdowns Meanwhile, 40% of black businesses are going are not going to survive the lockdowns. So you think they really care about black business? You think they really care about small business? Because we're talking about small business by and large. And uh, the answer is, of course, they don't care about small business. So let's go back to the stock market. Why is the stock market going up Whereas the uh, economy may or may not be recovering, and certainly if it recovers, we have a whole slew of bankruptcies, particularly middle-sized companies, a lot of of energy companies, uh, a lot of uh, small corporations. Who's benefiting? The big corporations. There's been a huge transfer of wealth upstream. And which party represents the wealthy in this country, the Democrats. I know, I know you've been told that the Republicans are the party of rich. That's all baloney. Look it up. Take a look at all the ultra-rich, ultra, ultra rich, the billionaires. What party are they from? Uh, and take a look at the, the wealthiest congressional districts. Who represents them? Democrats. And that's all in the end. This is all public. This is public stuff. The name of the top billionaires is public. And then you can research from there. Jeff Bezos, what he's at number one. So what is he on? He owns the Washington Post. And you have a whole bunch of other ones, Bill Gates and the rest of them. Uh, and George Soros, and at least until he's transferred $18 billion to a left-wing foundation to, to, to support left-wing causes. But the point is that... <coughs> There's a reason why the big corporations are in, uh, support the Democrats. And by the way, Democrats aren't serious about de- doing away with the, the, the uh, Supreme Court decision, uh, <clears throat> uh, limit, uh, allowing corporations to make uh, big uh, contributions, because they don't want you to benefit from it. Not the Republicans. It's the Democrats. And if you take a look at what the big corporations are doing now, they're throwing money at organizations like Black Lives Matter, 
even though Black Lives Matter does have a very radical and violent wing to it. Of course, you're not allowed to say that. I, I, that probably, if I weren't tenured, that, that, that alone would get me fired by actually telling the truth about uh, the radical wing of Black Lives Matter. Um, but, uh, in fact, it has gotten people fired for, for, for saying that. So, yeah, all these big corporations, and Pepsi is one of the worst, by the way. Those of you who want to <clears throat> drink Pepsi should cut it out. Uh, giving money to these uh, left-wing radical groups, the Southern Poverty Law Center, a left-wing hate group, and they're... Uh, why? Because the corporations like the fact that small business is going out of business. That eliminates competition. Big companies, big corporations have always been allied in one way or another with with movements that eliminate competition. And it's just in recent years it's been very explicit uh, as Wall Street has shifted from supporting startup companies to uh, playing games with paper, hedge funds and and uh, various types of uh, of uh, other types of paper that that gives them big profits. Um, what did George Soros call it? Uh, some of the stuff that Wall Street does, you know. <laughs> Destruction. It's a way to destroy the economy by 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 shifting, by making your money strictly on on, on paper. Uh, and remember, in Wall Street, one reason Wall Street likes the Democrats so much is because those who make money on what's called carried interests ha- have to not risk one penny of their own money to be taxed at a fourteen percent or capital gains rate. If, they're, if they risk their clients' money and their clients make money, they make money at the same and are taxed at the same rate as the clients who risked their money. And they're all Democrats, virtually all those who make money that way. And they're all really unhappy with Trump because what did Trump do in, in the tax bill? He limited the state tax write-off to $10,000. And a lot of these people were... You know, had taxes, state taxes of twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars, which they could write off against their federal taxes. Well, Trump put an end to that, <clears throat> and so, yeah. They're, 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 so this idea that that the wealthy are paying lower taxes than they used to is, yeah, some are, and especially the productive ones are. But these with carried interests and what have you, they may have seen themselves with a pretty good, interesting tax increase. So now we know why. The stock market is doing so well because some of the big companies, there's a huge transfer of wealth to people who are in charge of or, or dominate the big companies, and and they're making lots of money and at the expense of small businesses. And, and Trump understands that, And uh, but if you look at what the Democrats propose uh, in terms of you know relief, their relief is mostly d- uh, directed at their voting constituency groups and just like Obama's. I mean, Obama's quantitative leasing, $900 million uh, uh, relief package, supposedly going to be directed at shovel-ready projects, was really directed at government bureaucrats, teachers, the constituent groups of the Democrat Party, and had no lasting effect on the economy whatsoever, which was, of course, obvious since for eight years of the Obama, all eight years, not just the first year, which you can't blame on Obama because the collapse occurred uh, late in the Bush administration. Uh, 
But you take the seven years of the Obama administration and what happened. You had a decrease in the number of small businesses. More small businesses closed their doors than were formed. And that's what's happening now. And so we have, you know, Jim Cramer, uh, who's uh, CNBC, uh, talked about the fact that the uh, what's happening now is the greatest wealth transfer in American history. Uh, the the billionaires, the uh, the fortunes of the billionaires, according to Jim Cramer, in- increased. billion between March 18th and June 4th. At the same time, 42.5 million Americans were out of work. So $565 billion of transfer of wealth to the billionaires, 42.5 million Americans out of work. Well, of course, um, the left has not complained about the wealth transfer because these companies, these big companies, these ultra-rich people support the left. Uh, whether it's, they think they can bribe the left or, if, or they think they can control it, is, I don't, it's another question. Uh, and, of course, uh, it uh, by sustaining racial animosity, by sustaining what's going on, funding, funding the riots, which I'll get to next, the left justifies what they're doing on the basis of oh, civil rights supporting things. Well, let's take a look at the riots. And right after the break, I want to take a look at the riots. No, no, the riots, not the protests. What protests? They're riots. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. It's Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter? And obviously, uh, as we're seeing what's going on right now, facts don't matter. In fact, if you uh, if you speak the truth, you get fired from your job. Well, let me, uh, I, since I'm tenured, I can take the chance. Uh, you know, I, I could always uh, fire me. You know, it's, it's all what, uh, what Barry has said to Stalin. And that is, show me the man, I'll find you a crime. 
So I'm sure that uh, if someone at the law school decided to that uh, I needed to go for uh, comments which they considered uh, not politically correct, uh, obviously what they yell right away is racist, racist, racist. Well, good good luck on that one. Um, uh, I'm old. You know what can they do to me? Assume for age discrimination, assume for a violation of academic freedom. There's all sorts of things that I'm willing to do. Uh, and, you know, it would be nice to have a little extra money in my retirement. But they won't get rid of me because I figure I'm so old that I can't last much longer. And therefore, another year or two, maybe they'll have to tolerate me, the old conservative warhorse. The And... Uh, and I told my uh, buddy, uh, conservative buddy, who's also openly conservative, that uh, you know he's next. And if they can get me, they'll get him. And uh, the third one, is, who's obviously a conservative, is extremely careful about how he does and says things. So he can be the token conservative in the future. And the number fourth one over there, who happens to be a female, which is unusual to have a female conservative law professor, she keeps her head down really well. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Anyway, I, this is an article uh, by a, a great uh, Edward Banfield. Edward Banfield was a very prominent uh, uh, sociologist, and, uh, and he wrote a, a book called The Unheavenly City, in 1970 and was talking about what goes on in cities and one of his chapters was quote rioting mainly for fun and profit unquote that's what he said rioting mainly for fun and profit now it's always good if there's a pretext for the rioting and of course the pretext here is uh is the um uh Floyd, the Floyd murder by the policeman. You know, that was interesting because the first time I saw that particular um, tape of uh, the, the Chauvin, uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, putting his knee on um, uh, George Floyd, I saw him move his knee, and I said to my wife, this is malicious. I said, there's something beyond just subduing this guy because it looked the way he moved his knee in such a way to increase the pressure while he was down and I thought that was a, 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 it stuck me as malicious so I think uh, Keith Ellison is even though I don't have much use for him uh, the Attorney General I don't think he was not, I think he may have been justified in upping from third, third degree to second degree murder because I think there was an element of maliciousness. I don't think, uh, obviously, this was uh, prearranged. I don't think first-degree murder fits. But um, I disagree with some of the people who said that the upgrading from third-degree to second-degree murder was, was not justified. I think it was. Uh, if you look at the tape really carefully. Now, I haven't seen the other stuff. Obviously, uh, the fact that George Floyd was a career criminal uh, doesn't, does not take away from, it takes away from the fact that he shouldn't be lionized the way they're doing, uh, the way a lot of the people are doing. But the, uh, on the other hand, uh, you don't get uh, m- uh, murdered for passing a counterfeit $20 bill, especially since it's highly unlikely that he actually knew he was passing a counterfeit bill. Um, after they get in circulation, and I mean, a lot of foreign countries. I mean, Iran, uh, 
is a source of counterfeit bills. China, at least some sections of China is. They're in the, that's why they have those machines now for $20 bills. Uh, people don't bother counterfeiting $1 bills because not enough profit in that. But uh, $20 bills, $100 bills, $50 bills, sure. Uh, anyway, so we now have a situation where some people are protesting the murder of, of and that's you know, certainly legit to feel aggrieved. And that's turned into a, a an attack on the police, all right, a claim police brutality. By the way, every study that's made, even by liberal left-wing professors who are serious sociologists, indicates that there's no systematic p- police brutality. In fact, if there was systematic, yeah, talk about this. Let's talk about the systematic. I'm going to take a s- side route here. Systemic, systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Let's see, systemic means the whole system is pervaded with racism. Uh, Let's take a look at college admissions. Let's see, now who controls the colleges and universities? The left, liberals. Who gets benefit of affirmative action? Minorities. So are you suggesting to me there's systemic racism in college admissions, university admissions? I don't think so. So that part of the system... Let's go to the next part of the system. Hollywood, entertainment industry. Can you seriously, also controlled by the left and progressives, are you going to tell me entertainment industry is pervaded with racism? Well, no, okay. So we have two parts of the system, which are very important parts, the uh, university admissions, college admissions, and, and uh, entertainment, that we, we, we can't make a case of systemic racism. If there is, it's the left that's doing it. And let's go next. Next. Mm, newspapers, the Times, the Post, the Associated Press. They're all controlled by the left. The The Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, who's a, a, a left winger. The New York Times is might as well be a, a, the house organ for the Democratic Party. So obviously, uh, look what happened to Times recently. Uh, the, the, the entire... Uh, those time staff turned out to be snowflakes. They were so offended by Tom Cotton writing an op-ed piece that said that maybe the military needs to be used to put down what looked like an insurrection. And they were so, oh, scared. And they got the editorial page uh, editor fired because he dared to print that, that uh, op-ed piece by a sitting senator who's fairly influential, at least in Republican circles. So... Uh, uh, so it's hard to say that, in fact, uh, you, if you're not a leftist, you can't even get hired by the, the New York Times for any job, which was just proven by their uh, snowflake behavior. Uh, so, uh, well, so we can take that. I said the AP. And by the way, if you've been w- following the um, the riots and following the reporters on on uh, uh, that are reporting on that from the, from the riot locations. Uh, Take a look at their ethnic. I mean, I think Fox had more black and Hispanic reporters than anybody else on scene. Maybe that was prudential, but uh, they, that's what happened. So anyway, it's hard to say that, well, so now we've got three parts of the system that can't they have systemic racism. So where is the systemic racism? Uh, hmm... Let's see. Uh, Oh, public schools. Yes, yes. Uh, Blacks aren't getting educated in public schools. Well, more money is spent in Detroit and Washington, D.C. per pupil than almost anywhere else in the country. 
yet they have the lowest the lowest achievement except when the parents can use school choice and send their children to schools that actually hold the students to a le- standard a high standard and of course the teachers union hate that teachers union of course are dominated by liberals progressives leftists and they hate the school choice if you look at the last governorship election in Florida where DeSantis won that election narrowly he got a much higher vote from the black community than Republicans usually get and what was the issue in the black communities school choice a lot of mommies and daddies, particularly mommies, came out and voted for DeSantis because the Democratic candidate, who was black, by the way, was against school choice, was uh, in the pocket of the school unions. And these parents said, enough's enough. We want our kids to, to, to achieve in, in school. So we were in favor of school choice. It's a winning issue for Republicans if they would use it. But we all know the Republican Party is a bunch of cowards uh, as a party. Not all Republicans, but generally speaking, the Republicans don't have the courage of their own convictions. Um, and one of the exceptions is, is Trump. Yeah, yeah, Trump acts. Well, I don't know what a friend of mine called his public behavior, but it wasn't by good word. But uh, his actions are uh, very positive. Uh, and but his sometimes his words get him in trouble. That's one reason they hate him, because he doesn't toe the line, the PC line. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, obviously, if the election were held today, I think he would lose to the uh, cognitively impaired Joe Biden. But of course, it's hard to say that Joe Biden is cognitively impaired because I was in Delaware. I lived in Delaware when he was a senator, and he seemed to be cognitively impaired when he was in the Senate. I mean, people used to make fun of of, of Joe Biden. Even those who voted for him would make fun of him because because of his lack of any serious intellect. It was always well, you know, Joe wasn't too bright. We know Joe had a lot of gaffes. We know Joe lies about things, but you know, he's a good guy. He was at my parents 50th wedding anniversary so uh, and he went to the high school championship football game and he showed up at uh, this bar mitzvah that was for a prominent uh, Jewish child that had two or three hundred or four hundred guests all voters of course so in terms of uh, of uh, Delaware which is a small state now I'll tell you a story about that I was at uh, the inauguration I think it was either the um, maybe a second a second Reagan inauguration I don't remember exactly and the governor of the then governor of Delaware was there Mike Castle and I was just talking to some people and old Mike came up to me and said hey Bob how are you doing and they were so impressed I said no you shouldn't be impressed this is Delaware he knows everybody personally the whole state is a small state so you can know you can know an awful lot of people and so so, you know, I'm one of a million people that he can call by, by their first name. Um, but um, yeah, so let's get back to this, because now we have a pretext. Uh, we have a, 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 a protest that's pretextual, and it turns from protesting the murder of George Floyd into a generally uh, frustration with the police. Uh, police brutality. Now, what is it exactly that police do that that's, that gets blacks really unhappy um, other than the next thing I'm going to talk about? And that is, yes, black young black males particularly are stopped 
while driving black or walking black. And you say, well, I have a friend of mine who actually is very successful financially. He's a, he's a financial advisor and works with um, Merrill Lynch. And he has a lot of uh, clients, white and black clients, and, including me. And um, he said, he's, growing up, he was stopped seven different times by the police. Now, he doesn't look like a tough. He doesn't act like a tough. But he still was stopped seven times. You say, well, and, and he didn't hold it against him. He's actually a good Republican conservative. Uh, he's very pro-life. That's one reason he's a Republican. Um, and so uh, why is that so? What's going on? Well, I think we have to get it. And, uh, and Trump had a meeting uh, yesterday, I think, uh, at the White House talking about this. If you take a look at the statistics, between 36% and 44% of all murders are committed by blacks. Black males, excuse me, not blacks, black males. Black males are 6% of the population and commit between 36 and 44% of the murders. And who's getting murdered? Other black males. And depending on the year and depending on the statistics, the murder victims of blacks are 89 to 96% black. So we need to go back and, and decide how do we how do we deal with the, the crime problem in in in, the, in black neighborhoods? After all, if you take a look at the 40s and 50s and early 60s, black neighborhoods were law-abiding. There weren't any big crime problems. I mean, they were very close to the the, the same statistics for for white neighborhoods. Um, and, uh, and in some ways, they were they were lower than than white neighborhoods that were uh, equal in uh, in income, uh, lower income neighbor, white neighborhoods were, were sometimes more violent, uh, but not really violent. They were never that way. We didn't have a crime problem uh, in the fifties, forties, and fifties, and early sixties. Something happened in the sixties that changed all this, and that's for another show. But let's get back to um, where I am on this little uh, matter. This, go back to Edward Banfield. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of pretextual uh, – pretext is always a good thing to have. And Banfield uh, talked about uh, the rampage. And here's what he said, the rampage. This is an outbreak of animal, usually young male animal spirits. Young men are naturally restless in search of excitement, thrills, action. And they are apt to feel pushed around, whether they're white or black. And one who is caught in this mood of fatalism wants dramatic reassurance that he can, quote, make things happen. And breaking the law is one of the few actions open to him that immediately and demonstrably makes things happen. Rioting is a way of making them happen on a wholesale scale. These young people, whom a voter registration campaign, a picket line, or an economic boycott by mean very little, have found that they can stun an entire community by engaging in rioting. They can mobilize the entire police forces. So a rampage, which of course is essentially fun, Look at if you look at the films that I saw of Atlanta when the first day there was rioting, how many expensive SUVs with white young men were in there driving home to the suburbs? They had come down to join the rampage. It was fun. 
and of course they can pretext. Oh well, we're, pro- we're 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 protesting priest brutality. Which no, no, they were down there to have fun, to bait the police, and so that the rampage. We're up against a hard break. We'll get back with Banfield's other classifications. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. This is Robert D'Agostino, Professor D'Agostino, back with Do Facts Matter? And I'm uh, taking a look at the study made by Edward C. Banfield in his book that's written in 1970 called The Unheavenly City, a very prominent sociologist at that time. And one of the chapters, I think it was, uh, I know it was chapter 9, and it was called, quote, Writing Mainly for Fun and Profit. And... Uh, this is a summary of, of, of much of what he wrote, a lot of his direct quotes from, from the book, which is, of course, available on Kindle and available on the on Amazon if you want to buy the whole book. Um, and and, and we talk about a rampage. The rampage is something that's very often started pretextually, and it's um, for fun and excitement. A rampage may start either with an incident, for example, an argument, or an arrest. If it starts with an incident, the incident is more than more in the nature of a pretext than a provocation. That is, the rampage begins not because of the incident made the rampagers angry, although they may pretend that, but because they were looking for an excuse to rampage. There is no pattern to violence once it starts. It involves destruction for the sake of destruction and fighting for the sake of fighting. The police are frequently attacked by rampages. That is not because they're hated, although they may be, 
but because they are at hand and will put up a good fight. Rampaging by teenagers has always been a problem in the cities. And Banfield goes through a history of rampaging by young males, white, black, and very few have anything to do with race riots. There were about young, mostly lower-income and working-class whites and blacks having a good time. They feel frustrated, I guess, with their jobs, and they're having a good time. Um, And we certainly saw that in the... Just look at how many, uh, obviously, well-off whites are joining in the uh, rioting. And uh, in Pittsburgh, and this is he had one of the interesting was interesting that had so many riots uh, for various reasons in Pittsburgh in in eighteen oh nine. An editor proposed satirically that the city establish quote a confl- conflagration conflagration fund unquote. from which to buy twelve houses, one to be burned each month in a civil celebration. Until the middle of the last century, fire companies in large cities were manned by volunteers, mostly boys and young men. So that gave them something to do, something exciting to do, and the professionalism of the fire departments have really removed this outlet for the high spirits or sense of adventure that young boys and men wanted to have. So in a sense, this professionalism has has increased the possibility of, of riots, not decreased. Uh, in Philadelphia, for example, <laughs> firemen used to ride almost every Sunday using brick stones and firearms, apparently with intent to kill, and he actually cites the study because they were very often fighting with each other. Different firehouses would fight with each other. Youth rampages occur today, not only in the slums, but elsewhere. Thousands of college boys ride in, in, in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. Uh, this was in, in Seaside, Oregon in 1964. And, and it's not only American boys. And then he goes on to say about rampage. In the upper classes, the norms of culture tend to restrain the restlessness of youth and encourage its sublimation. In the lower classes, on the other hand, cultural norms reinforce feelings of restlessness and the mood of fatalism. Accordingly, lower caste youths are more apt than others to be caught up in frenzies of mob activity, and even adults of the lower class are, by comparison with those of the other classes, highly susceptible to the same influence. And so when you start the rampage and you have, again, uh, dominated at least initially by lower economic classes, and by the way, he goes in historically, in fact, up until the 1960s, uh, rampages were more common among whites, young whites, than, and, 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 than, 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 than blacks. The next, of course, is the, what he called the foray for pillage. Here the motive is theft. And here also, boys and young adults of the lower class are the principal offenders. Stealing is ordinarily most conveniently done in private, of course, but then disasters. In this case, the march, the protest marches, which serve as a pretext for the rampage, which then serves as a cover for looting, or as some people say, a a cashless shopping 
spree. And anything that interrupts law enforcement uh, is something that will will uh, encourage this kind of thing, looting if there's, if there's a pretext for it. And, of course, uh, the, but if the thieves rarely start riots, what Banfield says, they're always quick to join ones that are underway, and their presence is sufficient number may transform one from, say, a rampage to a forage for pillage. So we go from a rampage, having fun, baiting the police, marching through the streets, random acts of violence, to a looting and that's, that's a cover for the looting, which, of course, we see what we have here. And, uh, again, the, uh, the looting is, is not limited, at least historically, to blacks, that's for sure. Uh, before the 60s, you know, looting was – the rampaging turned into looting in a lot of different cities. And Banfield has a really interesting uh, historical summary of all that wonderful stuff. Um, and of course, you have the righteous indignation, and uh, here the rioters are moved by indignation at what they regard, rightly or wrongly, as injustice or violation of the mores that is likely to go unpunished. And of course, here it's not likely to go unpunished, at least not the murder of Floyd. So they have to up it, up the ante, and the ante that they're up to now is to claim Proust brutality. And there are studies at Harvard, MIT, there are studies that a police brutality that show it really doesn't systemically exist. It just doesn't exist. What exists is humiliation, stopping people while black. As I started to say, this friend of mine, he got stopped seven times when he was growing up. And he hardly looked like a, a thug. I mean, you know, uh, he was, uh, and, and he ha- hardly was doing anything that would necessarily justify it, except the fact that there's an algorithm. Most violent crime is committed by minorities. That's the truth. And we need to get to why that's the truth. Why has the minority communities turned violent starting in the 1960s? I mean, as Shelby Steele pointed out, the left has always used blacks particularly as, let's say, uh, cannon fodder to advance their utopian ideas. They didn't care about the black community. They want his left wants power, wants to create their idea of utopia where everybody toes the line. And we'll talk about that in a little while. And blacks are handy to, let's say, inflame, sucker, or claim to, that they're... I mean, what could be more insulting to, to the black community than to say, you should have reparations? For what? That means you, you can't survive unless you're supported by white liberals? Why? What's this about reparations? I mean, you go, oh, well, look at the New York Times 1619... That nonsense in New York Times that indicated that delivery of 20 people who might have been slaves or might not have been slaves, could have been indentured servants in 1619 in Virginia, uh, set off the, 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 uh, the economy as a slave economy. Well, it doesn't work that way. If, if, if the slave economy created wealth, more wealth, why didn't the South win the war between the states? Why was it the North who won the war between the states? Why was the anti-slavery North have most of the wealth? 
How come the Rome, Roman Empire, if you take a look at the Roman Empire, the more they became a slave empire, the worse off they became. And they fi- finally fell because none of the peasants would, uh, or farmers would, would, would defend the empire. They, they were losing their jobs to the slaves. And I'm up against a hard break, and I'll be right back. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter? And I've been talking about Edward Banfield's book, The Unheavenly City, a particular chapter in that book called, quote, Rioting Mainly for Fun and Profit. And we've talked about Rampage, which is for fun and profit, which of course then can attract others who are more interested in looting, the pillaging, and then of course we have the outbursts of righteous indignation, which is again ver- generally uh, uh, is, um, is is pretextual, and and this is one where you get some of the upper classes. Uh, who who, uh, who who start to um, come in there for reasons of manipulation of the other economic classes. Um, the, the the this is uh, natural justice. They this idea of natural justice, and so so you have the people like uh, and CNN and CSNBC uh, who. Justifying the looting and the destruction is kind of natural justice. Uh, never mind that uh, when, when this happens, as they have in the sixties, these riots have been dominated by, by the black black riots. Before that, mostly whites uh, destroying businesses, destroying neighborhoods, burning down neighborhoods. Uh, I can remember um, in Delaware in the, the uh, after the assassination of Martin Luther King there were there were riots in Delaware and the black community essentially burned down their own community destroyed their own businesses they did not cross the street into the Italian American community the Italian American community you could see pictures 
people got on the roofs of their townhomes or row homes, really, with guns. And it was made very plain to the right as you cross the street and you get shot. So the Italian-American community completely defended itself. And that's why we see now the riots are limited to areas where they feel that there's no, no real danger of people defending themselves. So they're destroying businesses. They're not going into residential areas, the rioters, except tangentially, because, thank goodness for the Second Amendment, this country is armed and people will defend their homes. I can remember years ago when I was in a civil rights seminar class when I was in law school, and my professor was Mike DeVito, Professor DeVito. And I I really liked him. Great guy, Professor DeVito. He eventually went to Golden uh, Gate uh, Law School. So, uh, and he said he was typical left-wing, knee-jerk liberal, and he was just, we had a number of black students in the seminar, and and I was there and a few others, and he said, uh, I don't know what I would do. We have treated blacks so badly and went on and on and on. If they came down my street where I lived, I wouldn't know what to do because I would feel so bad how, how we whites have treated them. What would you do, Bob? And I said, well, if they came down my streets and I had a house there and a wife and kids, I'd shoot them. <laughs> he looked at me, and the black student said, that's right, that's what you do. <laughs> so, so the black students, he was just stunned. Um, but, uh, you know, that's what I would do. What the heck? Um, so... so then of course, uh, then of course, there's this righteous indignation turns into the demonstration, and here we have the upper classes joining in. Here, the motive is to advance a political principle or ideology, or to contribute to the maintenance of an organization. The riot is not a spontaneous anger response to an incident; rather, it is a result of prearrangement by persons who have organized. Ha- have leaders and who see it as a means to some end. Does that sound like Antifa? Does it sound like the radical wing of Black Lives Matter? That's what that's all about. The word demonstration is descriptive for the event is a kind of show stage to influence opinion. Those who put it on are usually middle or upper class. These being the classes from which the people who run organizations and espouse political causes are mostly drawn. Right. I mean, as George Orwell pointed out, there are some ideas that are so absurd, only an intellectual could believe them. And intellectuals, of course, dominate the middle, are, are dominantly from the middle or upper class. There are some, there are some uh, uh, exceptions, people like... Uh, uh, Thomas Sowell and Clarence Thomas, who came from lower class origins and, and worked their way up. Dem- demonstrations characteristically involve breach of the public p- peace rather than violence. Of course, here, if they if the spraying of or, uh, slogans with paint and the throwing of steer blood, so spraying paint. This is typical of, of uh, these slogans painted on walls. This is part of the demonstration. Of course, here we now have plenty of uh, uh, pl- plenty of violence has occurred and looting. And here's what he, what Banfield says: These four types of riots are presented as analytical models. 
Some concrete riots are, are very closely approximate a pure type, but most riots, and possibly probably all large ones, are compounds of two or more of these tri- riots. And he, and he goes into the um, uh, the New York riots, uh, the draft riots of 1863 in New York, and discusses those. And it's very interesting that, uh, as he points out, uh, when, when he goes to the history of riots, before the 60s, there were mostly working-class uh, white uh, youngsters, or lower-class and white youngsters. And let me just uh, read this one thing, and then we'll go on to, to another comment. The, the view that rise did not manifest feelings of outrage um, widespread among Negroes was consistent with the findings of an elaborate survey on Negro, of Negro opinion made late in 1964 by Tar- Gary T. Marks. It showed that most Negroes were neither sunk in hopelessness nor consumed with thought that things were get. Uh, I'm sorry, or, or, or consumed with anger. Only about a third were in any sense militant, and the proportion of Negroes who were strongly anti-white was much smaller. Most Amer- most thought that things were getting better for the Negro, 81% uh, of a sample in non-metropolitan areas. That, and of course, in the 60s it took the South trailed. Now, of course, now of course, <laughs> blacks are moving south for opportunities. They move out of Detroit. They move out of New York. They move out of the cities of the North and Northeast, and, and even to the West. And they come south for opportunity. And I was talking to some of my students, black students, and I said, "Well, who had come? Uh, parents had come to the South." I said, well, "Why did your parents move here?" And they said, "Oh, we want an opportunity. There's more opportunity for us here." And I said. And what party do your parents vote for? Oh, well, they're Democrats. I said, so they fled from Democratic-run areas, cities and states, to come to Republican areas and still vote Democrat because they want to import the same policies? Is that, is that what you're saying? And they hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, but uh, I think more and more uh, young blacks are really figuring out that they're being used by the Democrat Party. They've always been used by the Democrat Party. Uh, the only time the Democrats have ever uh, done something positive was the signing of the Civil Rights Acts, where, by the way, more Republican votes than Democrat votes supported those Civil Rights Acts in the 60s. But but a majority of, of, of Democrats uh, voted for the Civil Rights Acts, even if the majority it was a slim majority, but the overwhelming majority of Republicans voted for it. Uh, but you take a look at what happened. What has been the biggest threat to the black community why has the black community turned towards violence towards towards even towards unwed births towards abortion I mean no no community has more abortions than the black which of course Ruth Bader Ginsburg said was a great idea after all Ruth Bader Ginsburg you know said in an interview with the New York Times look it up you can look it up New York Times said that uh, she was in favor of abortion as population control and anyway Abortion eliminated people that we uh, in a population we want less of. People are individuals in a population in a population we want less of. Look it up. It's about exactly what she said. Use the word population we want fewer of, or, or uh, 
wonder what population he was considering. I mean, after all, who has most abortions per capita? Blacks. Who has the least abortions per capita? Jews. It's interesting that she was willing to eliminate persons. She thought it was a good idea to eliminate people in populations we want fewer of. Eugenics lives. Um, so, so anyway, and, and so they, this, let me continue with this thing, that America was worth fighting for, 87% said yes, that a day would come when whites would fully accept ne- Negroes, 70% said yes, and that the police treated Negroes either fairly well or very well, 59%. And this was in the 60s. Things have gotten much better since then. The overwhelming majority of those questions concluded, uh, Marx concluded, quote, felt that progress is being made and that integration is being pushed by the government at the right speed and were optimistic about the future, unquote. That most Negroes held these opinions does not necessarily mean that the rioters held them, of course. In fact, however, there is some reason to suppose that most of them did. So we see in the 60s there was optimism. And probably, probably one of the reasons for that, the great optimism, was because the government, led by the Democrats and the war and poverty in the great society, hadn't yet destroyed the black family. And, of course, the Democrats, the poly of slavery... I mean, after all, Judge Taney, Dred Scott decision, who was he appointed by? Millard Fillmore, a Democrat. Who signed the Fugitive Slaves Act? Millard Fillmore, a Democrat. Who sponsored that act? Stephen Douglas, a Northern Democrat. That, in my opinion, is when the Civil War really started with the Fugitive Slave Acts and the Dred Scott decision. I'm going to have a, a guest on a show who's really a, a good uh, a good person, uh, my pr- professor, uh, Tony Baker, from uh, who's uh, very knowledgeable about these kinds of things. Uh, I mean, I think he uh, doesn't connect his knowledge with his voting. He still votes for the Democrats for reasons I can't figure out. But anyway, uh, that's what he does. Um, but I think one has to take a look at really what the problems are. And the problem is not police brutality. The problem among black communities is the fact that police do stop blacks, may, 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 may more than they stop whites. But why? Look at the crime statistics. I'll see you next. You hear from me for next week. Thank you for listening. This is Professor D'Agostino signing off. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.